Father God, I just, um, I come before you this morning and I just pray, Lord. I know especially for me, all the distractions, hair up, hair down, paperclip pen, all the things I need to have to come before you, but really all I need to come before you is you. So I pray, Lord, if anybody in here is like me this morning and the distractions are piling up, that you help us just to put them away, that we come and sit at your feet. We ask you, Lord, to come and to speak to us. I know, Father God, that you have a message for each of us, whether it's spoken from here or in our groups or just that still, quiet voice in our hearts. We know, Lord, that you have things for us because you are good. So God, as we get in this morning, I just, um, I pray again that your power, that your word would just flow through this place today, Lord. We love you and we praise you. Amen. So before we get started, I want to say that if you have not been keeping up with Pastor Doug's teaching in Luke on Sunday mornings, please do. It's been so sweet and so powerful and so applicable to where we are. I felt like we could have just played his first portion this morning and just gone to our groups and been done. You would think it was orchestrated, you know, months ago as they're planning the lessons. You'll be here and you'll be here, but that's just how God does it. So today we're picking up in Romans 12, verse 9 through the end of the chapter. Paul is going to give us a list of practical commands. I couldn't think of a great word. Doug used the word impartations, um, but that's not like a word I would normally use because I had to look it up to see what it meant. But so we're going <laughs> to be given, we're going to be given these things. In 12 verses, we're going to find 20 plus items that Paul is going to give us to help us with our walk. I read a commentator who said, most people think that the major part of Romans is over by this part of chapter 12 but it isn't. Although they see chapters 1 through 11, which deals with doctrine and salvation, chapter 12, 1 and 2 deals with commitment, and 12, 3 through 8 deals with spiritual gifts, they see that as the heart of the book. However, said this commentator, I believe the heart of the book begins here in verse 9. The intent of this passage was to call believers to live a certain way. The first 11 chapters were simply the foundation for that way of living. It was Paul's way of saying, I've given you 11 chapters of what God has done to make this possible. Now dedicate your life to him. Use your gifts to the fullest extent and begin to live like this. Verse 9 through 21 seems to form this expanding circle. We're going to start small, personal. It starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with us. It talks about the quality of our love, hating what is evil and holding tight to what is good. That's a personal commitment. Then we see this widen to believers, our church family in Christ, and it'll widen yet again to include the others around us, the watching world, and even more to envelop those who would consider us their enemy all the while reminding us of our personal responsibility to live out love, not as a feeling, but as a verb, to love in action. So let's start at verse nine. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I know I've shared many times that I love a good definition. 
And this study, in fact, I just have to say, I drive people crazy with that because somebody will say something. I'm like, wait, wait, let's look that up because I don't think it means what, you're say, what you think it means. And my kids are like, really, mom? <laughs> or at work, I've done it too. And it's just, I love words. I used to, when we first started doing the Bible study, we'd have to 12 definitions or three. I'd be like, no, not more definitions. But now I love it. I love to see the words come alive. So for me, this study was really hard <laughs> to decide which words to look up and which not to because there are so many words here. <laughs> so I started, of course, with sincere, free of present, okay, free of pretense or deceit. I combine those two words so we could get through that quicker. Free of pretense or deceit. It's genuine. First and foremost, Paul is telling the believers that their love must be genuine. How do we have genuine love? Is it something like practice makes perfect? Is it works-based? Is it fake it till you make it? No, true, sincere love, agape love, is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a natural byproduct of walking in the Spirit. Paul told us in Romans 8, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, 2. This is the beauty of living by the Spirit of God. The changes that occur through him are effortless because in the process, God changes our hearts to align with his heart. His characteristics will become our characteristics. And next, Paul tells us that we should hate, abhor, loathe, detest, despise what is evil. And I thought, I mean, that's easy. I can say I hate what is evil but I hold my own idea of what evil is. Evil is a lack of goodness. But for me, that stings a little, why? <laughs> because I have made evil complicated. It's fiendish and ghoulish, satanic. It's this, this thing that it's easy to hate. And um, on Sunday mornings, I get to teach a group of five and six-year-olds. And it's amazing to ask them these questions. We ask them these questions, what is sin? And they'll come up with, sin is stealing this, and sin is doing this, and telling them, no, sin is simply missing the mark of God. It, we quantify it because we want to make it easy. We want to make it acceptable. Defi we want to give all these quantifiers, but evil is simply lacking God's goodness. Proverbs 8.13 says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I'm going to quote Pastor Doug here. He said, um, 11 years ago, it was fun to listen to, take note, hate what is evil, not who are evil. We are called to love who God loves and hate what God hates. I don't think we think about this enough. We live in an evil, dark world filled full of evil activity. Activity that makes, that mocks and scorns the goodness of, and holiness of God. 
God hates these things. God hates perversion, sexual immorality. He hates the greed of men and the corruption of governments. He says in Malachi that he hates divorce. And why wouldn't he? That's not his plan. God hates drunkenness and drug addictions. He hates vulgarity, slander, and gossip. He hates murder and violence. He hates the hatred of men towards others. God hates all sin. God hates all the things that ruin and destroy people. Sin destroys, it kills, and it wrecks people. The danger of living in this world is that we get adjusted and conditioned and desensitized to evil. There is so much of it. We get used to it. We even find ourselves entertained by it. Pretty soon, we start thinking like the world, and evil no longer offends. We start calling what is evil good and what is good evil. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's not God's heart for us. Well, I'm going to read Romans 12 too again. You're going to hear it a few times today. Again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Psalm 34, 14 says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Psalm 97.10, let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Next, Paul tells us to cling to what is good. Think about clinging. When I first started thinking about clinging, clinging really the first thing that came in my mind was like cling, cling wrap. No, you get that thing, it's not sticking to nothing. But that press and seal one, you know, you can press it and turn the bowl over like the commercial, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But <laughs> then I was thinking of the things that we cling to, and how do we cling to them? And I remember when my, oh, I didn't think that was going to make me cry. I remember when my boys were little, they played the cling game with their dad. The mission to each grab a leg in the ultimate sneak attack and hold on for dear life. And in return, he would do his best to shake them off. <laughs> it was a challenge, a battle of the wills. It was not easy. But if it was easy, there would be no need to cling to it. But thankfully, God never tries to shake us off. Quite the opposite though, the world does, self does. Distractions, they loosen our grip. Cling to what is good. Press into him. So next, let's define together this good that we're to cling to. What is the definition of good? Again, like evil, it's so easy to get caught up in word misperceptions. I can come up with a long list of things that are good, but it will profit me nothing to cling to them. What is good? Let's ask who is good. The good that we're to cling to. First Corinthians, First Chronicles 16:34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercies endure forever. Psalm 25, 8, 
good and upright is the Lord. Mark 10:18, no one is good, that is, but God. <clears throat> Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts him. Psalm 100, 4, through, 4 and 5, be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Now that we've had this personal director towards us, we're going to focus our actions on other believers, those around us. Verse 10 says, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Dictionary.com defines devoted as a zealot or ardent in attachment or affection. Faithful, constant, loyal, and devout. Honor. Mutual respect, yielding your own rights to allow others to excel and grow. These words of Paul are simple, yet at the same time profound. As believers, we're called to love one another and be devoted to each other as members of the, fa- the same family, the family of God. We, can, we should consider others, each other, over our own interests, Pursue each other in love. There's nothing stronger than this bond of a family. Ladies, we belong to one another. How are we living that love and that honor? How are we elevating each other over our own selves and encouraging each other in the Lord? Have we put away backbiting, jealousy, envy, strife, or anything that gets in the way of that bond? Have we considered how to build each other up continually in Jesus? Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. How is your quality of love for each other? Verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I'm going to quote a couple other translations. I just, I love the words. I couldn't pick which one to use. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Never lagging behind in diligence, a glow in the spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord. That one's just like, I like the sound of that one. But I'm going to be honest, that sounds exhausting. And I just can't do it. I can't keep up. But it's a great reminder that this zeal is not my work. I can't maintain it on my own. We need to keep being what? Renewed by the Spirit. Relying on Him, clinging to Him, and guarding ourselves against complacency and lukewarmness. We're then told in verse 12, be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful, patient, and faithful in the midst of any struggle. Seems like a long road to hoe. But this comes directly after the admonishment in verse 11 to serve the Lord continually with with spiritual fervor and passion for him. We are walking in the spirit and living out our relationship with him. Then these things will naturally supernaturally occur in our lives. Have you noticed how many fruits of the Spirit we've touched on? 
These are a manifestation of a life lived, yielded, and pressed into Jesus. These are his characteristics and traits. So these characteristics in our lives are a byproduct byproduct of our relationship with Jesus. As we become more like him, we'll start resembling his characteristics more and more. We are to be joyful in hope. Hope is looking to the future. This world scares me. And looking to the future could be paralyzing for some. But I know what's there. I know who's there. And no one can take that from me. When our hope is placed in Jesus, then being joyful in all things should be easy because we know the hope in which we're called. Next, we're to be patient in affliction. Affliction, something that causes pain, suffering, trouble, tribulation, calamity, catastrophe, disaster. (sighs) Being patient is a wonderful characteristic to have. It's a quality of suffering with fortitude while enduring the wrongs and the trials at the hand of this world. James 1, 2 through 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is how we can be patient in affliction because we know the result of the trial will not destroy us, although it may feel like it. But when we point to Jesus, when our eyes are focused on Jesus, it will rather, it will help us grow and mature in our faith. Last but not least in verse 12, we are to be faithful in prayer. James 5, 16 says, the prayer of a righteous woman is powerful and effective. Through Christ Jesus, we are able, through Christ Jesus, we are made righteous. So when we pray, it's powerful and effective. I know you know this, but listen to it again. Through the power of Jesus Christ, when we pray, it is powerful and effective. This is open communication. It's not just speaking. This isn't your laundry list of the things that you need, but it's listening to Prayer changes things. Prayer changes us. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Here we're going to see that widening again, not only encompass believers, but the world. Paul here is speaking to the believers in Rome. And at this time in Rome, it was not a very hospitable place to be a believer in. And Paul knew it wasn't going to get any easier. He's encouraging to let their love be in action to minister to the world. Man, he knew this was going to be a trying time. They're just working on perfecting their love. With those in the body, it's easy to love. But the world, a world that wants nothing to do with them? You have heard it said. Oh, hang on just a second. I'm out of order. 
Okay, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Persecuted, to pursue in a hostile manner, harassed, insulted, mistreated, maligned, and even hated on account of something or someone. Matthew 5, 11, 12 says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. As believers, we are to follow Jesus' example of being willing to meet people where they are. Jesus, fully God, yet he humbled himself and stepped into humanity on our behalf. He gave up the glory of heaven to come and redeem mankind. Not just you and me. He's not done saving. He did not consider his position at the throne of God ahead of our need for him. He humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross, on the cross, in order that we might experience firsthand the love of God. What is our purpose in this world if it's not being his hands and feet? We're to have his heart concerning the world around us. We are to consider others above ourselves. Paul has given us a lot of instruction in Romans 12 on how to live with each other. And here, right here, he reminds us that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Not to put ourselves on some self-built pedestal, but to humble ourselves and realize that we're really not all that. This can only happen when we genuinely love and care for others. I want to reiterate, as I did again earlier, this is not works-based. This is not self-driven. This comes from following verse 9, letting your love be perfected in him, hating what is evil so you're not swept up and away with the world around us, and clinging to God to allow the fruits of his spirit to be manifested in our lives. If you're like me and see all of your failures and how you love, take heart. Cling to him, him who is good and press in. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as, it, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Never pay back evil to evil evil to anyone, no matter who they are. Matthew 5, 38 through 43 says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye. I'll let you know that I'm back in my place now. <laughs> this is the verse that threw me off back there. So we're back on track. Yay. <laughs> Yay. I'm sorry. Matthew 5, 38 through 43 says, See, we rejoice with each other. That's what we're doing there. I'm following. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
But I say to you, do, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Our flesh wants to respond. It wants to get even. But don't let their sin become your sin. Don't let their evil cause you to do evil. But here again with the renewing of our minds and this agape love, we have the opportunity to show Jesus in our actions and reactions. And the Jesus they see in us could be the only Jesus they ever see. But this does not mean that we're seeking to please mankind. Rather, it means that we should live righteously according to God's plan, to God's word in plain view of everyone and living lives above reproach. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here, Paul closes Romans 12 by reminding us that conquering evil is God's job. The battle between good and evil has been around since the garden, and it's not going anywhere. But I guess that's where our joy and hope is, because we know the end. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I, um, I was excited to teach this chapter. I read it and I thought, I mean, this is good. We're believers, we're walking this, we follow this. I thought maybe there may even be some warm fuzzies in here somewhere. We could go verse by verse, love, check, joy, check, clinging to God, check, check. But if I'm super honest, what I found was me face to face with where I lack. Almost every one of the things Paul listed here, I found that I lack. And really, I thought to myself, I'm not going to share that. <laughs> I'm not going to share this with you. You don't need to know my lacking. I'm just come up here and tell you how great this is to be close and pressed into the Lord, and we've got it. But then I thought, what if one person leaves here today and hasn't said that they see this in themselves too and leaves discouraged and hurt and broken? I would want to encourage her. I love the Lord. I've been walking with him for a long time now. I am so blessed that he saves me and loves me and pursues me. I can visibly look back and see from the first day I walked in 
to, a, to Calvary Chapel, North Clackamas. I'll tell you what, I was pregnant, I was scared. I, my husband-to-be was married to someone else at the time. I mean, we were the definition of a mess. And we walked in and this big-haired woman was singing and big bushy man got up and started teaching out of Daniel and I was sold. I was done. And I look back to that girl and I can tell you, God has profoundly changed my life. But he's not done. How do I know? Because I'm still here. Still standing here. I'm not done. So when I look at this and I tell you, (laughs) my love so often lacks sincerity. I don't always hate what's evil. My time on Facebook will prove that. I want to cling to God, but I let myself knock me off all the time. My love for you, it's not always sincere. I walk in these doors multiple times. I've walked in these doors hundreds of thousands of times. That may be a little exaggerated, but I have walked in these doors so many times. And often I'm insecure, I'm fearful, I'm self-centered, I'm envious. And some days, I'm just going to tell you, my joy feels dead. The idea of just one more trial makes my head want to explode. (laughs) My kids are, my kids can testify to that. We live in an old house and things keep falling apart. So they'll come in, I'm just standing in the laundry room. They're like, why are you crying? I'm like, something's leaking again. I can't do this. I've got to lay down. but I've been through the trials. I've been through the big trials and he is always there. My patience, most often I can't find it. I am so not perfect. I want (laughs) the last word. So let me just be super honest here since I'm already bearing all my secrets here. If I have a bad encounter with someone, I may not slash their tire or slap them back but I will not be satisfied until in my head or a text message that I've erased 50 times until I have told you off in just the way I want. And I hold myself back from those I love. So if you're like me, we're not perfect, but that's the good news he is. These things that Paul gave us, remember, there's like 20-something things, these actions and reactions. They're not a result of our work. They are a result of his goodness. We can't work harder or enough or strive to be the, I couldn't find a good word here, so strive to be the goodest. We can't be the good to cling to. You can't be my good to cling to but we can press into him and allow him to renew our hearts and our minds by the word of God, which is the only thing that will transform us into his likeness. Invest in each other. Are you afraid of each other? That's okay. Are you jealous of what you think this person has? That's okay, because it's not as good as it looks. Invest in each other. Ask someone to coffee. Starbucks has outdoor seating. Get to know each other. Invest in each other. Grab a jacket. You'll be blessed. And our love will grow. We will be women devoted to one another. My ladies group Tuesday evening has changed. 
it's, it's life-changing, the things that we're going through together. We've lost life. We have one gal battling cancer. We have, we're open and bare to each other, and it's life-changing. We're women, we get to be women on fire for the Lord, women who don't discount ourselves because we're imperfect. We get to be joyful, patient, and faithful, going to learn to bust out with these fruits of the spirit because it's him in us who overcomes who overcomes we believe women who can face anything that comes our way because we know who he is and that he's already there i have walked with jesus through the toughest darkest days of my life and you know what he is good so with that we will bless when we're cursed We will feed and care for our enemies even when we're wronged. We will seek and live at peace with everyone and and we will allow God to fight our battles which will enable him to work in us and create that perfect love. And thankfully, we have a perfect example in Jesus. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for today. I pray, Lord, as we go to our groups, that you give each of us just exactly what we need to leave with today. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you did not just give us a list of rules and, and, and leave us to our own, but that you work in our lives, that you change us and you mold us, that you love us, that you care about us. We love, Lord, that you love the world who doesn't even love you back, but you want to reach them and you want to use us. And we thank you for that, Father God. So today, Lord, change us. Make us more like you. We love you, Lord. We praise you in your mighty name. Amen.